You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inside Healthcare. This time, NCQA President Peggy O'Kane shines the spotlight on the exploding popularity of telehealth. She hosts a panel of experts to explore how health plans, systems, and clinicians use telehealth to respond to COVID-19 and how challenges and opportunities identified during the pandemic might inform our future. Now, we broke up the discussion into two parts. Part one features a conversation among the panelists. Part two features the panelists answering submitted questions. Let's get started. Hi, several questions have come in about reimbursement, including uh, how are triage visits reimbursed? And if reimbursement was such a barrier to telehealth, why was telehealth adoption so low among capitated medical groups? I can I can touch in on that one and say that um, reimbursement is one barrier. And a lot of folks like to say it's not the only barrier to adoption to telehealth. Um, and I have a capitated group within my organization that is very, very active with telehealth. Um, it's really a way of rethinking the way you practice and getting folks comfortable with a different way to practice. Um, I think that's probably a bigger barrier. And there is this um, real or perceived perception of um, patients not being willing to do it. When I started doing tele-substance use tra- abuse treatment and um, medication management for psych mental health disorders years ago, um, there was a lot of pushback that this isn't going to work. And what I frequently find, regardless of what the format is for telehealth, is that I have that first visit with a patient, and it's much like when I have that in-person visit in an exam room. There's a little bit of a vetting process between the provider and the patient as to, are you the right person for me, or is this the right place for me? And that same thing occurs in telehealth. But one thing that I can say about telehealth is after I have a successful first visit, then I have frequently hear from the patient, well, do I ever have to come in again? Can't we just continually do this? And then I have to educate the patient that while telehealth is a great, wonderful access point for care, it doesn't supplement or supplant all care. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the whole value proposition, I mean, in the state of Rhode Island, the issue of geography is not an issue, though you'd be surprised how... uh, People view geography and distance in Rhode Island. Uh, uh, some locals haven't left the state in uh, their lifetimes, except when they made the wrong turn and ended up in Massachusetts. But uh, the 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 change management issue, I think, is a big barrier. I mean, people, uh, clinicians are already overwhelmed with technology in terms of the EHR, and uh, the thought of something else uh, kind of reminds me almost of the conversation when portals and email with patients uh, came on the scene. Well, it's one more thing for me to do, which, I mean, my experience with, with that, and I think will be with telehealth, is it really substitutes for other things and allows you to do certain things much more efficiently. I mean, one, one of my associates who I was chatting with yesterday uh, observed that uh, since telehealth started, uh, the no-show rate has dropped precipitously. Mm-hmm. Patients don't get stuck in traffic, get flat tires, miss their rides, et cetera. But uh, just the perception of yet one more thing that's going to break me where, you know, we're just starting to recover, some of us anyway, from the electronic health records is is a barrier that goes beyond the reimbursement issue. Thank you. All right. So, Andy, let's go to the next question. 
Privacy is still a big concern for my clients. They don't want video of anything and don't trust it, something that could be hacked, shared, etc. Please comment on privacy problems. I guess we'll go to uh, some of the people on the ground. Um, Kara, can we start with you? Uh, sure. Again, this is one of those, it, just because you can do something through telehealth doesn't mean they should, and you shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be a one trick pony to care. Um, you are going to have patients that have those concerns and you need to have alternative ways to provide care to those patients. You're going to have an equal, if not greater number of people who are so comfortable now with FaceTime, you know, they have Google Home, Alexa in their home, and um, those issues are, are starting to go away. And so I think it's important to impart to your patient that you, you are using a platform that uh, um, adheres to privacy standards. It's also really important, and we do this with our providers, we have a course that we call um, Website Manor. Um, and I have to teach, <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful course because it's amazing, but I have to teach providers that they need to pretend as if they're in a clinic environment. Don't have your dog and kid and everyone running through the room. Don't have what's behind you being something inappropriate. You wouldn't do that, you know, what, and I, I frequently say that, don't, you know, would you do this in an exam room? And so don't be doing in, an, in an, a telehealth visit. I mean, I've got my classic glass here and I'll turn my camera off when I take a drink. I wouldn't take a, a drink with me into an exam room and drink while I'm having a visit with a patient. So, you know, the way we present ourselves in telehealth is equally as important as maintaining those privacy standards. So really great point. One of my earlier, one of my earliest uh, telehealth visits, uh, the patient was in a car, the car wasn't moving. And I thought that was very odd until I found out he was actually at work and the car was the only place you could get privacy. Uh, so the privacy is not necessarily that, you know, just related to technology and recording and things getting tapped and what have you, but just the physical uh, aspects of privacy. And I've had other visits actually that have occurred in cars uh, in garages for the same reason, because the whole family is home now, kids and spouses, et cetera. And that one-on-one that -on -one time with the uh, physician uh, goes away if we don't find a place that substitutes for the exam room, um, which also raises a concern that may not be so much privacy, but one of safety, because for many of our patients, and you think about uh, domestic uh, abuse uh, uh, victims and uh, other situations, elder abuse, where sometimes that alone time with the physician is the opportunity for the doc to find out what's going on. How do we substitute for that when we're doing visits at home, kitchens where again there are folks around and often you know you don't even know who's in the room when you're doing the uh, call so something to try to work through very interesting I think that um, privacy is always a, a very big issue and uh, there isn't a good answer for it except I think patients are getting more and more used to other platforms they're on FaceTime they're on um, other ways of, uh, of connecting and social media that they have gotten much more used to this. And uh, it will always be an issue. Our security systems for all of our, uh, not just telehealth, but all of our data are something that are extremely important. And, um, you know, I think it's, to some degree, it's a matter of getting used to it and making sure that all of our systems are safe as well. I wanted to say one more thing about um, and really interoperability because one thing that I think we'll, we will all continue to drive here 
is interoperability. I think if nothing else, the pandemic has also pointed out how we really need to be able to share data. How if somebody showed up in one part of the country or in one part of the city, you needed that information. Or if they were seen at uh, the Javits Convention Center in New York, that you needed to, be ha to have that information. And so although I know that we have uh, postponed to some degree the rules on interoperability, um, I think all of us would like to continue to move those forward so it's not just visits that are able to be done by telehealth, but it's data that is able to be shared with everybody. Yeah. Um, Andy, is there another question you'd like to read us? I see some interesting things coming in. We have plenty of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, one is, what are best practices for using telehealth services to provide chronic disease management? Anybody? I hate to monopolize uh, remote patient monitoring in combination with uh, a good, solid remote patient monitoring platform in combination with um, virtual and in-person visits. And um, I, I like ideally to have chronic care management rolled into that altogether. Um, but that it's amazing. And I have seen this personally as a healthcare provider and then of course professionally now running a health system of telehealth. Um, it's amazing what you can do by enabling the patient with some very, you know, simple devices and, a, and setting up a simple monitoring system like that. Um, we've seen some incredible things with COVID in that in the past two months, um, but I've worked with chronic care management and remote patient monitoring for over 10 years, and um, I've had patients that I was personally managing that could not control their blood pressure, and then simply by giving them a blood pressure cuff and enabling them um, the ability to either self-report or report ideally through a Bluetooth-enabled device, you know, get, taking patients that were previously uncontrolled into a controlled state. Yeah, that's really encouraging to hear. Yeah. Um, Andy, go ahead. Several questions about vaccinations, including how should we handle vaccinations? Right. Well, for all age groups during pandemic. This is an obsession of mine, by the way, as I'm thinking about the flu season. And if COVID is still with us, which I, I expect it will be, um, and and I, even like when you saw the reductions in kids' visits, um, we don't need a, a measles epidemic on top of a pandemic. Um, so I wonder uh, if anybody has any light to shed on that. Yeah, I think it's a matter of trying to create safe places for patients to go and get those things done that have to be done in person. And this is where I see another role of telehealth as a, as a patient safety measure, uh, because uh, we've got to reduce foot traffic into the offices. Um, foot traffic in general, I mean, not just the people with respiratory illnesses, since uh, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with potential of asymptomatic transmission. And uh, you know, sequestering uh, sites to the extent where you know you can have uh, flu clinics. Think about drive-up clinics. You know, people. Uh, you know, as we've done with evaluation of uh, respiratory patients now, where they don't get out of their cars, they just drive up and they get their shots. Making greater use of non-physician office locations and pharmacies. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a challenge because people are are still afraid to go places. Yet uh, you can't you can't deliver immunizations. By, uh, by telehealth, and I don't think sending nurses to people's homes is a practical solution either. Well, if I could combine a response to the, the last two questions, 
Um, I, I agree with everything that's been said, and I think it is important to come up with creative, safe places for people to go for vaccinations. But the role of telehealth as, as um, a screener and a stopgap for preventing, slowing down foot traffic is also really worth underscoring, I think, because in a world which may not be too far away from us where there's just a chronicity of COVID risk, you have to think about, well, what is the new business model for practitioners here? You know, what, what percent of what FTEs are you going to put on telehealth versus inpatient visits versus, frankly, there are going to be some small number of patients who are at such high risk for exposure and or who are infected but not ill enough to be admitted to an inpatient facility who would benefit from a visit to the home. Um, or from, you know, particular telehealth access, particular access to ad additional assistive technology for monitoring, et cetera. I think we just need to start thinking through these specific use cases um, and, and try to coalesce, um, you know, some, some consensus-driven guidelines around those. I, I feel like we've been, um, again, conflating the issues around telehealth itself versus the particular circumstances of the pandemic, which are so fluid. I think teasing those out and coming up with specific use cases would be an excellent place to start. Great. Anybody else want to comment? I'll just say that I agree completely. This is, this is a huge public health initiative of um, how we are going to handle vaccinations in the new normal. Um, and, you know, there's a side, secondary side aspect of vaccinations are very expensive for providers to purchase if they don't work for a large health system. And this is where we can work in combination with our local health departments and with the pharmacies and alternative sites for ob obtaining vaccines and utilize the telehealth as a triage or um, a method of being uh, a reminder. You know, one of the nice things is if you're doing these telehealth visits for somebody, especially during cold and flu season, um, and you're seeing them for sinusitis or an alternative diagnosis, you can say, hey, don't forget, you need to get your flu vaccine. Have you, you know, you can get it at the following locations and you can use the telehealth visit to um, supplement our public health initiatives. Thank you. Let me suggest one last uh, lightning round question, and I think okay. this is an appropriate way to go out. What are resources for keeping up to date on telehealth? It's hard to know where to start and hard to keep up, especially today. Resources for keeping up to date on telehealth. Anybody? Well, no. I can say on Anthem's behalf that, um, and we're happy to send NCQA the link to distribute to you all, but we have um, we have a, on our website, we have resources for providers that list out all of the policy changes that we have made with regards to telehealth. Um, there are also state and market specific things because, as you know, we, we don't, we as health plans don't actually control our own realities. We can uh, make policies and have them as uniform as possible for our fully insured patients, for our Medicaid and Medicare Advantage patients, but our self-insured um, members, members with self-insured employers, as well as members who happen to live in specific jurisdictions with their own particular restrictions or flexibilities on telehealth, telephone care. Um, so we do have market and state level specific policies and happy to send you the links to help you navigate to those. Thank you. We have lots of resources on the CMS website, as well as some best practices. The other thing I might encourage providers to do is on Friday afternoons, 
CMS hosts a uh, Lessons from the Front Line. Um, it's from 12.30 till 2 Eastern. And virtually every one of those times we've talked about telehealth because that's really what people want to talk about. And we've heard some amazing stories from across the country, actually. And so that would be another uh, resource that people might want to look at. Thank you. That's a great service you, you're providing there. Uh, Carrie? I'm a big advocate for the National Telehealth Resource Centers and your regional markets. There's 12 regional telehealth resource centers. And, and they, I don't believe that they're, I believe they're underutilized, but they're a great resource for your uh, local state uh, and regional uh, initiatives and information. Um, and I use the CMS and Anthem ones all the time too. Um, but yeah, if, if, you're, if you're new to the, the marketplace and you're looking for state specific, go to the um, regional telehealth resource centers. Thank you. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. I just want to say each and every one of you demonstrates a passion for patients and for doing, doing a good job and maintaining health. And it's inspiring to have you all together. And um, I think it was very interesting how much you actually saw eye to eye on a whole lot of different issues. Because um, it really is about doing a better job of keeping people healthy. So thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to the audience. I apologize to everybody for the technical uh, glitches that we had. And um, thank you again to the panel. Thank you to all the participants. And good luck going forward. It's crazy out there. <laughs> thank you. And that does it for this episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm Matt Brock. I want to thank you for being here. We'll see you again, no doubt.